This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. I get lost, literally, and far more frequently than I would like to admit. Now, we all have that internal compass that kind of gets us going the right direction. My compass has a needle that just spins and spins and spins and spins. And so I've learned over time that if my initial response is to get in the car and turn left, I probably should turn right because my gut instinct is going to be wrong. And I know I am not the only person in the world, in this room, that, yes, yes, sister, we are together on that. So don't ever follow me anywhere. The advent of maps on a phone has just been so wonderful. It's made such a difference in my life. But I get lost. And that sort of described what happened to me as I was studying to get ready to share with you this morning about joy. That's a a word I learned in Sunday school as a a little girl, and I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart was one of the the first songs that I learned, and you heard about in vacation Bible school. But when I sat down to put a definition to joy, this, this concept, this word that I, I know inside myself, I know, it was a little bit of a struggle to be able to come up with a way to define it. And I thought of some of the things that, it, that it's not. Joy isn't an emotion like happiness that's very dependent on the things that are happening around you or to you. Um, although it can be felt. You can, you can feel joy, but it's not just that emotion. And going through scripture and thinking about this and praying about this, the definition that I think works in my understanding is that joy is a state of being. It's a quality. It's it's a state of being that's a reflection of the experience of God's presence. It is to live in God's presence is joy. And when I thought about joy in context of Advent and the Christmas story, the very first scripture that came to mind is from Luke and says, and the angel appeared to them and said, behold, fear not, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the King, Christ the Lord, Christ the Messiah. Good news of great joy. And these guys who are out in the field on this dark night with stars twinkling in the sky had a moment when heaven and earth intersected. And what was invisible became visible, and they saw an angel. And the angel spoke to them. And the first thing he said was, fear not. So I backed up a little bit. Well, what's... What's right before that? So Luke 2, 8, and 9. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. I read this in two or three different translations, and one of them said terror. I kind of like the word terror. I mean, that just implies an incredibly strong response, a strong emotion. But isn't it interesting? They are experiencing something miraculous with this angel in front of them, and the very first response was fear. And so I backed up in the book of Luke to start at the beginning and look at a couple of other people whose stories we read 
early on before we read about the shepherds, actually. And the first one is a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth, Scripture says, were righteous and followed the commandments. And he was a priest who was on duty. His two-week term to serve was, was he was on duty. And he was chosen to go into the interior part of the temple to light the incense. And when that happened, morning and night, all the people gathered around outside to pray. And Zechariah and his wife were childless. And you know from all the other stories that in in that culture, to be childless was a very shameful thing. And they were beyond the age of having children. But Zechariah is faithful, and they are righteous, and he is performing his duty. And here is what happened to him. He is in the temple, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth." I can sort of understand the shepherds being afraid when they saw the angel, but you might suspect that Zechariah, a priest in the temple doing his service, might have been a little more prepared to see an angel, but he was not. His first response, and again, the word terror was used in another translation. He saw this angel, heaven and earth intersected, for him, and he felt fear. He felt terror. And the next person whose story we read in these first two chapters of Luke is Mary. And you know her story very, very well. But when Gabriel appeared to her, the first thing he said was, And then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. Do you see a pattern in these interactions between the angel and the people? The very first thing he says is, do not be afraid. And I suspect that was the first directive, the first thing he said, because they all felt fear. They all felt terror. So what I want to propose to you this morning is that perhaps the biggest obstacle to joy is fear, is that foreboding anticipation of some future event happening. And you you check out, I check out of this moment and this day to live in what might happen in the future. That's fear. That's that terror, that foreboding, that expectation of this thing that's going to happen. And it so overtakes us that we lose this moment. We lose this day in anticipation of that. Have you ever felt fear, terror? I mean, really felt terror? When I was about 10 years old, my family and I lived in Oklahoma 
in um, northeast corner, and our home was out in the country, and it was situated a couple of miles from a place where two rivers came together. The Spring River came back behind our house, and the Neosho was across the road and down in front, and they came together a couple of miles away to form Grand Lake, and there was a state park. There was a great place to grow up. The land across the road from our house was heavily wooded, and the people who owned it had a couple of houses just right at the edge of the property that dropped down a cliff down to the river. And it was heavily wooded and beautiful, and that that cliff area was filled with caves and areas to explore, except in the spring and the fall, because there would be about, I don't know, a week to a two-week period, over a period of about eight years, that a black panther would come through every spring, every fall, and we were all warned about it, you know, warned that it, that it was coming through when people identified it. And at night, I don't know what you call the sound that a panther makes. I know lions roar. I don't know what you call that, the panther sound. But it sounds like a woman screaming. And so for a week or so, we would be awakened in the middle of the night by this sound that sounded like a woman screaming. So between the warnings that the panther had been sighted and being able to hear that sound as he was in those, along that cliff and in those caves, we had a really healthy respect for the fact that there was something dangerous out there. But one day, my sister and I was broad daylight. She's two years younger than me, so I was 10. She was about eight. We decided it would be safe if we went to check the mail together, if we crossed the half acre of our yard and then the road and then across to the other people's property where the mailbox was to check the mail. So we started across, and as I reached out to open the mailbox in the wooded area back by the cliffs, I could see that panther walking along the, along the edge and I experienced pure terror. It was as though I was totally frozen. I was trying to say something, and you've all had the dream where you're trying to say something and nothing comes out. That really happens in real life. You open your mouth, and I was trying to tell Stephanie that, that I could see it, and then suddenly all that adrenaline that had been pumping for about 10 seconds hit my feet, and I turned and ran. I gave no thought to the fact that my little sister was still standing there. So let me just tell you, if you and I are in a crisis, you are on your own because I am booking it. Her adrenaline hit pretty quick and she ran back and that it obviously didn't see us. It was far away, it it just didn't see us or chose not to acknowledge our presence. But that was the most fear and terror I have ever experienced. And as I thought back to what that experience was like and what happens when we, when we live in fear in this moment, there were some very specific characteristics of it that I think apply to either that kind of imminent danger fear and to the what-if fear. For a lot of us, fear is the what-ifs. What if the test is negative? What if the test is positive? What if this decision I have made with my child is the wrong decision? What if these people that I stand up in front of really get to know me and they don't like me? There are a lot of what ifs 
that we end up living in, in fear. And one of the things that happens in fear is that it affects what we see. When I stood there and could see that black thing moving across over there, it was like the periphery just fuzzed out, got that soft focus thing, and that is all I could see. And suddenly from being a normal-sized animal, which was pretty big, let me tell you, a normal size, it was huge, but that's all I could see. And it grew in size the more I focused on it. And that's often the case when we are living in fear. That thing that we're focused on becomes disproportionately large to us. And it affects how we think. When that is your focus and you, you don't have a perspective of anything else, it affects your thought process. That's all you can see, and it runs this lap in your head over and over and over and begins to affect what we expect. For a brief period of time, I expected to be panther lunch, that the ultimate disaster would happen. But when we live in the what-ifs, the fear of the what-ifs, we begin to expect that, to expect that thing. And then it affects how we respond. Living in fear affects the choices we make. It's affected what we see, how we think, what we expect. And so logically then, the decisions that we make, that all those factors bear upon are maybe not the most appropriate decisions or the healthiest decisions or the most reflective of how we want to live our lives. A lot of anger is rooted in fear. Fear of somebody else, fear of what they're going to think. And so I wonder, as I looked at Zechariah and Mary and the shepherds, and they were experiencing fear and terror. I wondered if, if those were parts of that experience. What they saw, what, they, what did they think? And the angel of the Lord said to each of them, fear not, fear not. How did we get to that place? How did we get to the place that an interaction with the holy causes us to fear? And the first time we see fear or afraid used in Scripture happens in Genesis 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And I think those words have reverberated through the centuries. And they are still reflective often of our hearts. We hide because we realize we are metaphorically naked. And we hide in the bushes. We hide from God. And sometimes our, our bush is activity. And if God sees the activity... He's not going to see the real me in the bush. And sometimes um, the bush's acquisition 
or status or power or um, religiosity. We all still hide in the bushes. And God still comes and says, where are you? Not so much because he doesn't know where we are, but I think so that we will acknowledge where we are. That we are afraid that if he really sees us, he won't love us anymore. And we hide in all this other stuff because we are afraid. And what I really want to leave you with in this Advent season as we anticipate celebrating the birth of Christ is that he says, I see you and I love you and I am with you. In Isaiah, one of the the prophecies says that the virgin will, will give birth to a child and his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when we focus on the fear, and some of the things that we fear represent very real threats in our life. But when you live in that fear, There's very little space for the joy of God's presence to be part of your life. Joy is experiencing God's presence, and you can feel a lot of other things while you're in that joy. Joy can coexist with some some other emotions, with grief and, and other things. But when your focus is on the what if or your focus is on, I need to get in the bush so he doesn't see me. You're losing an opportunity to be sustained and nurtured by the joy of his presence. And so my question to you today is, where in your story, what in your story that is represented by fear Do you need to risk in his presence? What do you need to risk in his presence to experience his presence? Advent, anticipation of celebration. And what I want you to see in that story is that God loves you and he sees you. He sees all of us in all our nakedness and all our humanness and he has come for you and his name is God with us. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the Church of Indian Lake.